Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, welcome back to Buckethead's Land Grant Holy Lands College Basketball Podcast. My name is Connor Lamans, and I'm here with Justin Golba for episode 62 of the show. And today we are doing our best to dissect what the fuck is going on with the Ohio State men's basketball team. Yeah, um, you know, sometimes, Connor, you just might stink. I'm just kidding. I don't think they stink. But um, it's definitely been the two weeks from hell. That It was funny because, you know, two weeks ago on this podcast, we were talking about, like, you know, man, this team could do a lot of things. They can, you know, possibly be a Big Ten title contender just because, you know, a, a nice little mix of everything. Of The conference a little bit down. They do seem to have a little bit of a hold on the, the defense is getting better. The offense is obviously really good. Um, now we're just like, all right, just beat Nebraska, please. I mean, there is a moment there. on. So their last win was January 1st. So when this episode comes out, it will be 17 days since they won a basketball game. And the day after the Northwestern win, they had the second best odds to win the Big Ten behind Purdue. Um, they were legitimately, like, at that point, all the sports books had them second best odds. And I have not obviously looked at what those odds are anymore. But there was a minute where not only the, not only were, like, the homers, the OSU homers saying they could win a Big Ten title, like, even Vegas was saying, other than Purdue, that this is the team you should keep an eye on. But that's not the case anymore. Um, the funny part is, you mentioned last time they won, that was a 16-point win against Northwestern who has had a really good two weeks since then. Like, that Northwestern win is pretty decent. They beat Illinois and Indiana. They barely lost to Rutgers, and they lost to Michigan at, at Michigan, which is, you know, a, a serviceable loss. So, um, kind of a weird thing that, like, they beat Northwestern by 16 and then started this downfall because it's not like Northwestern's a terrible team. They've actually had a pretty good two weeks since then. So, it's been kind of – it's been very weird. The bit, I, I said this – I have said this every week, and it just continues this week. I don't understand the Big Ten. I never will. Um, this the Big Ten this year is unbelievably confusing, but nevertheless, I mean, I've I've called Northwestern fraudulent multiple times since the very beginning. I still I still think they're probably not a tournament team, but I'm saying that with oh, no, less I'm not, and yeah, less. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not saying. I'm that. saying but that with less and less. Like, um, I don't know how to what word I'm looking for. I'm saying that with less and less like uh, enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Last week, I'm like, no, they're fraudulent. They're absolutely frauds. They're not going to make the tournament. This week, I'm like, I still think they're frauds. But oh, it's a question mark on the end. Yeah, exactly. Dot, dot, dot. Like, every time okay. I watch them, like, this team's 3-3. Three and three. If they could make it to, like, 9-11 and 11 in conference play, which means go 6-8 and eight over the last 14, they might make it to the tournament. Um, and then Chris Collins would buy himself an extra six years on the job. Easily, maybe just a lifetime. If they coach. make the tournament, they could be an 11 seed play in, and he would, yeah, he would get a, he would be like Coach Kyle and get a lifetime contract for that. Um, but yeah, rather than like a structured like breakdown of like, here's what went wrong in the Minnesota game, which was an absolute shit show, and then here's what went wrong in the Rutgers game, I think we're more just going to say like, here's what's going wrong over the past two and a half weeks. Let's identify what's going wrong, and are these are these things fixable? Which of these things are fixable? I think that would make more sense today. 
Yeah, well, I think, and I think, you know, you, you kind of talked about it and, you know, I've talked about it. It's not about the losses in a vacuum. You know, it's not about the only loss I'd say in a vacuum is a bad loss. And it is objectively a bad loss is home against Minnesota. You, you have to win that game. That was what it was. I'm a little bit sick of team's second best player having career games against Ohio State. I don't get what it is. It's never the best player. It's the second best player. Purdue, Zach E didn't kill them. Fletcher Lawyer did. Uh, Maryland, Dante Scott didn't kill him. Jameer Young did. Minnesota, Jameson Battle didn't kill him, but Dawson Garcia did. Um, Dawson Garcia sure as hell did, yeah. Dawson Garcia had 30 points. Jameer Young had 30 points and 11 rebounds, and then Dawson Garcia gets 30 points and like 12 rebounds. And then against Rutgers, uh, not really anybody on offense killed them. They just, Ohio State didn't score enough. But, you know, it's just, it's a weird thing of like, we do, they do a very good job of containing the best player. Maybe that's, you know, to the, to the credit of, you know, the best defenders on our team, like a nice likely, or, you know, I know Justice Suing gets a lot of, gets a lot of criticism for his offense, but his defense has been really good. Um, but yeah, this, for some reason, the second guy is just a killer for, I mean, if, you, you beat Maryland if Jamil Young doesn't have 30. You beat Minnesota if Dawson Garcia doesn't have 30. They need these performances from these guys to win, but they're getting them, so they're winning. And it's kind of a, you know, the Purdue game was, again, I, you know, losing to Purdue without Zed Key. I don't care what anybody says. Losing Zed Key was a part of that game. Um, you know, that's, that's not a bad loss in a vacuum, but when it starts a four-game losing streak, you know, that's not great. Even the Maryland game, you know, we talked about, that's a quad one loss. That's not horrible. And then winning at the rack is always hard. Also, I love on the recap, I had somebody in the comments tell me that, um, like, correct me that it's not called the rack. I'm like, I know, but it's called the rack. Like, come on. It's the rack. Yeah, it's, it's the, the rack. rack. What are we doing? Come on. I, I know it's the Jersey Mike's Arena. Nobody gives up. Nobody cares. It's it's the rack. Um, I did say rack center, which is, that doesn't make any sense. But nevertheless, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, but losing at the rack, that's not the biggest deal in the world. That's a tough place to play, you know whatever, but it's all these losses together. It's four losses in a row, you know, it's two and four in conference play. And it's now you're at a point to where you need to be, I mean, this, I hate to say must win in January, but tomorrow's, you know, tonight, because it's come out Wednesday, it's a must win. You have to beat Nebraska. You can't fall two and five, beat Iowa. And then your, your, your path is pretty simple, right? You, you beat Nebraska and Iowa, which isn't as easy as it sounds, but Iowa's at home, right? You're four and four, and then you get Indiana and Illinois. If you can split those, you're five and five in conference I play. Have, kind of I want to say down the, down the stretch, they have a lot of home games, I believe. They have six out of nine and seven out of ten to finish at home, or seven out of 11 at home to finish in February and March, <laughs> and six out of nine in February. So that's not like, you know, that's helpful. Their February and March schedule isn't that bad. It's really not, especially they get Michigan State twice. This Malik Hall injury seems like it's going to linger. So Michigan State's going to be down Malik Hall, who's been their most important player. You know, you don't you, you got to go to Purdue, but it's not the hard. Like I said, I think they only get Michigan once. It's not the toughest schedule in the world. So I do think Penn State has looked a lot more vulnerable than they did at first. So it, it's not they can make some ground up in February for sure in March. But again, this is also a team that just lost to Minnesota at home. So maybe they lose every game. I don't know. This is I've seen this team play very good. I've seen this team play very bad. I've seen them play in the middle. Uh, it's kind of a toss-up what team you're going to get, which is very annoying as a fan and scary as a fan. And that's where we're kind of at with Nebraska. I don't know what team they're going to get at Nebraska, uh, which is a sneaky, tough place to play. So we'll see. Nebraska's a good defensive team. So looks like six. Yeah, so it looks like six out of their final ten games are at home. And your road matchups, I would say two of the four road matchups are – pretty brutal and two of the four are places that ohio state i believe has had success before so you do have home games down the stretch against northwestern michigan state penn state illinois maryland um and wisconsin but you have road games at michigan at iowa at purdue at michigan state which chris holtman has not ever won at michigan state i want to say ohio state's only won at purdue once in his six years um but they have won at michigan multiple times um i can't check the to- the final record at michigan but i know that they've won at michigan at least twice 
and I can't imagine that they've played at Michigan in his six years more than like four times. So if he's got to be like two and two or like two and three at Michigan, I don't consider that to be a very hostile place to play just based on their record. Um, Iowa can be tough, but I think Purdue and Michigan State are like very clearly like those are going to be really tough to pull off. But you have six home games, two real tough road games on the stretch, and a couple road games that I think you're capable of maybe stealing. Yeah, it's just the question. There's so many. The description I just gave about Ohio State to where you don't know what team is going to show up pretty much describes 11 Big Ten teams. I mean, you don't know what Indiana is going to show up. Illinois, Michigan State, Purdue's more consistent, so I won't put them in that bubble. But – you know, there's a lot of these teams that have just played some inconsistent basketball, and it makes it tough to really – I mean, Iowa. Iowa beat Rutgers at the rack by 13 after two weeks before that losing to Eastern Illinois. So, you know, I don't know what kind of Iowa team is going to come out there um, on Saturday. They're going to be rested. I don't know that much because their game on their game tonight is canceled, but it shouldn't affect Ohio State because it's, it's COVID protocols sure. within Northwestern. But – so we won't really touch on that. But, um, you know, it, there's a lot of – there's a lot of – and I think it's a lot of an experience. You know, we lost – the Big Ten lost a lot of the top players from last year, so a lot of guys are moving into different roles. I mean, Indiana's been bit by the injury bug really bad. Michigan State, like I said, it's really only Malik Hall that's hurt, but that's a very important piece. Um, even Purdue, who's 17-1, to sometimes you just see a little bit of inconsistency. Um, they just they just find ways to win games. They're, they're very good at that. But um, – and, and Rutgers, I think – when you look, I think Rutgers can win the Big Ten, but they don't, I don't know if they have the offensive firepower some games. I mean, you saw them against Ohio State. Um, the offense was left a lot to be desired. It's just their defense is so good that they can kind of keep you in any game. So it's it's a it's a weird conference. I couldn't make a pick on who's going to win it right now. I'd probably say Purdue just because it makes the most sense. But I could see a couple teams be knocking Purdue off. So um, it'll be interesting to kind of see, you know, if you're Ohio State – that's the thing you kind of have to keep in the back of your mind is, yes, you're two and four. Yes, it's been a bad four games, but you just kind of got to let it go and, and move forward. And, and I know it sounds corny, but just take each game at, at a, one game at a time and just try to rack up some wins here. Yeah, and I, I also think when you're looking at the schedule too, I should say you kind of have to put an asterisk next to literally everything I just said. When you're analyzing the schedule and saying, okay, you got some home games look favorable. You have some road games maybe you could steal. Well, you've already lost your easiest game on the schedule. We've already established that you could lose to the worst Big Ten team at home. So I don't want to act like, you know, a home game against Northwestern or like a home game against Maryland is like, okay, like they're going to win those games. I don't know if they'll win those games. We've already established that they could lose to the worst team on their home floor. So God knows what could happen. But if they could rattle off a few wins, get to, like you said, four and four, maybe five and four, which doesn't look great, but it's a hell of a lot better than two and four. Um, at the end of the schedule, there's some relief where you're not going on the road multiple times per week for the final couple weeks of the season. Um, that, and that's kind of what makes the Rutgers loss, kind of like you mentioned about the rack, the rack center, um, tough. It's, you know, any other week you'd say, okay, Ohio State at Rutgers, it's not a game that we should expect them to win. They're going to be the underdogs in that game, betting underdogs. Um, I think Rutgers is is 53 and 10, I believe, is the stat over the past four years at the rack. They just don't lose at the rack. You're like, okay, Ohio State's going to be an underdog. If they lose this game, but they play hard, so be it. Let's see how hard they can fight at the rack. After you lose to Maryland and Minnesota, you have to win at the rack. Suddenly, a game that looks impossible suddenly becomes a must win. That's what made winning at Rutgers so important is because you fucked up losing to teams you should have beat, and now it's your job to beat a team that you shouldn't beat. And they, they almost did, but still an L. doesn't matter if you lose by four or you lose by 40. It's still a loss, but that's what made Rutgers a must-win is you kind of forced it into a corner as a must-win game. Yeah, and um, you know when you look at that Rutgers game, I think it's – you know you talked about kind of talking about the four losses you know in a vacuum and, and kind of the – the tendencies that we've seen. And I think it's been so, the similar case of just, it hasn't been incredibly horrible basketball, but it's been stretches of those six to seven minutes where they just can't score. The team's going to run and you kind of, they're not, you know, ba- I always say basketball is a game of runs and, you know, guys, teams are going to answer you and whatnot and they're going to answer your run. But, you know, against Minnesota, they went six minutes without a field goal. 
you know, the Purdue game, they went a, a couple minutes without field goal towards the end of the game. The Rutgers game, they went on some stretches where they just couldn't score the ball. And, and it, it comes back to that of just putting yourself in the position of, okay, now we got to chase and now we got to cut down into the lead. And that's just really hard to do. It's really hard to always be chasing um, and not really playing with the lead. They played with the lead against Purdue, I would say, and for some of the game against Rutgers, but for the most part in the second half against Maryland and Minnesota, they were chasing. And that's just a horrible spot to be in. And it's, it's not an easy place to play from. And it really kind of affects the, your game plan. If it affects the way you want to play. Um, it would, the, you know, the Minnesota stuff was interesting. You know, the broadcast, I know you didn't see it because you were at the game, but you know, with Holtman mic'd up and stuff, there was a lot of times where he was kind of telling guys things that they just weren't doing. And I don't know what the case may be about that. Maybe, you know, hard, hard to hear. I mean, there was there was one play in particular with like six minutes left and uh, they were going to come out and kind of like a, their 2-2-1 little soft press. And he asked four times. I counted. I went back and counted four times. He asked in the huddle, are we all on the same page? Are we all we all know what we're doing right? We're doing this. This is what we're doing. Uh, He's saying red 22. That's what he was saying. We're, we're all doing this. They were all like, yep, yep. And then they came out and two of them didn't do it. I think it was Sensabaugh and McNeil. So it's like, okay, what what was the miscommunication there? You know, at the end of the game, when they were trying to get the ball in bounds, uh, Minnesota was up was up one. Uh, he was he was telling he told the official, hey, Zed, Zed Key is going to foul twenty one. Key is going to foul twenty one, which is Frel Payne uh, for Minnesota on the inbound on, on the cut. He said on the cut, he's going to foul twenty one on the cut. Told the official, told Zed Key, told Zed to tell the official. Zed literally gave him a thumbs up. Zed did not do that. So I don't know kind of what the difference is there. It's kind of it was interesting to see kind of behind the curtain of that and kind of, you know, you're hearing, we're hearing, obviously we're hearing Coleman better than the players are because, you know, it's easier hearing when it's mic'd up than when they're on the floor and it's, you know, the crowd's loud and they're on the other side of the court. So maybe you just didn't hear him, but it was yeah, interesting to I kind of see. Like, I wish I could have heard it. Yeah. I mean, like he I was literally saying, we're going to foul 21, foul 21 on the cut. And Zed looks at him, gives him the approval, all good. And then they inbound the ball and Zed doesn't foul him. And you kind of see Coleman like, what the hell? So, you know, it's interesting to see kind of when they tell them, you know, what that miscommunication is, but I, I don't know. It was it was weird. There was a couple times that happened. So did they still have they still had play by play and color guys doing it right, and they would just occasionally pop over to the mic'd up coaches. I would flip that. I would say they would occasionally pop over to the play by play guys. It was it was okay. a lot. I think towards in the second half, it seemed like the play by plays guys talked a little bit more. So I think I, I would say the first ten minutes, you didn't hear the play by play guys at all. It was just the coaches. Then I think they realized that was getting a little bit annoying because these guys never shut the hell up. So they kind of – the second half was a little bit more half and half. But it, it, it was okay. I mean, they, I don't know why they were showing the coaches too. I don't know maybe that – but they were showing them too. So you can only see the basketball on half the screen. That was a little bit annoying. But uh, the in the huddle stuff was awesome. I'd much rather hear that than whopper, 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 you know, with commercials <laughs> and stuff. I'd much rather hear that. So the in the huddle stuff was really cool. And it was two good coaches to mic up Holtman. And I I tweeted this, you know, you can't mic up like Dan Hurley and Eric Musselman, but you can mic up Chris Holtman and Ben Johnson. They, they weren't really insane. You know, they don't tend to really lose their minds. They're more intense than I think people think and watching that showed that, but they don't like, you know, go nuts bananas on the court. Like those psychopaths do. So it was nice to kind of see, see that but I, it's not something i think people were really grabbing onto too much yeah i can't say that i i didn't talk to too many people like text or talk to people be like hey and have a conversation like hey what did you think i definitely saw people on twitter some some people said they liked it that they liked the insight some people you know of course people some people are like okay so now we got to see behind the curtain as to why this guy's such a bozo you know those kind of responses but on the opposite end, I had another friend who um, he's one of the college basketball watchers who basically watches. He'll turn on college basketball about right now, end of January, when NFL playoffs are. Um, it's basically just college basketball and the NFL playoffs on the weekend. Like college football is done. Everything else is pretty much, you know, you can't watch anything else. He said he felt like he learned so much about basketball because he mm-hmm. learned. He said he felt like he learned. And he's somebody that played basketball and like casually plays basketball. But he's like the X's and O's of what these guys are doing behind the scenes that we don't get to see. We just see the end product. He said like he, he learned a lot about basketball and about those two coaches from that. But I can also see if you're like, I don't want 30% of my screen 
to be the game and the yeah, other was- 6 or 7% to be the coaches. I just want to see the game. And you can go to the mic'd up coaches every now and then, but let me watch the game. I understand too. Yeah. It was really interesting too, kind of seeing the two things that were interesting the most to me were the chess match of like when they were showing a huddle, like Chris Holton be like, like they're on like Ohio State's on offense, right? And they'd be like, okay, we're doing this, 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 and this. And then they'd flip over to Ben Johnson. He's like, okay, they're going to do this, 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 and this. And he's saying the same thing, you know, because they do know what the kind of offense they're going to run because they've watched the film. They know the tape. And um, so it was interesting to watch that. And then Chris Holton, they flip back to Holton. He's like, but if they do this on defense, then we're going to flip to this and this and this. So it was interesting to see that chess match. It was also interesting, like, I want to say there was probably five minutes left in the game, and there was a timeout, and they went to Ben Johnson's huddle. He goes, I don't care about offense. He was like, offense is irrelevant right now. I don't care if you have a shot clock violation every time down the floor. He was like, defense. That was when Minnesota had the – they had like eight-point lead at the time. It was like 64-56. He was like, play defense. He was, And then they had a shot clock violation literally the next possession, and then the media timeout hit. They came back. He was like, that's fine. You used all the clock, whatever, defense, defense. And I've never heard a coach, obviously I've never been in the huddle like that, but I've never heard a coach literally just tell his team, I do not care if you score, just don't make sure they don't score. You know, he was like, we got enough. He kept saying that we got enough, just stop them. Um, they did not have enough. But And that was, that was the funny part. They jumped to the play-by-play guy, and he was like, I respectfully disagree with what he's saying. <laughs> like, they don't have enough yet. They do need to score. And I think – Ben Johnson is saying that, assuming they're going to get a couple more points here and there, you know, just at the free throw right. line and stuff like that. But I don't think he literally meant, hey, 64 points wins this game because everyone knew it wouldn't. But um, it was it was a very – like I said, the huddle, and they didn't have any halftime show, really. They just went straight to the locker rooms with the coaches. That was really interesting to watch, like, just how they do halftime adjustments. But other than that, um, the, the, the during the game, you know, Holtman and Johnson yelling the whole time, that's – that probably left a little bit to be desired. It's a it's a good idea that needs to be tweaked a little bit. They didn't have the same problem, I don't think, in the Rutgers game because for the first time in um, – I'm kind of jumping – not totally jumping off topic, but for the first time since I would really have to think about the last time that I saw Ohio State play defense where they were getting three, four, five defensive stops in a row against Rutgers – they were doing yeah. that for the first time since, like I said, I'd have to look back at the schedule and maybe back to the last season and be like, okay, that was a game where they really locked it up on defense against Minnesota and against Maryland. They have the same problem of they cannot get two defensive stops in a row. They are incapable of getting two defensive stops in a row. So when you go down by eight points to Minnesota in the first four minutes, the game was over. The game was done. Because they were not playing good enough defense to stop Minnesota from scoring. And even when they would go on a little run where they maybe score on two of three, three of four, four or five, Minnesota was also doing that because they cannot like that's why it was such an the Minnesota game especially felt so agonizing to watch because essentially for 30 straight minutes, Ohio State was down somewhere between six and two points. So for uh, 30 straight minutes of gameplay, you're watching and you're saying, okay, you're only down by four points to the worst team in the Big Ten. Just get a couple stops, build like a four to six point lead, and just win the game, figure it out, and be done. But they could not catch up from down four to six points for 30 straight minutes because they are incapable of getting back-to-back defensive stops. I mean, like, not even being sarcastic. Like, they are not capable of doing that. That's how bad this team is on defense. And the Rutgers game immediately following was a total flip of the script because I thought that was fantastic defense holding Rutgers to 58 points in regulation on their home floor, which was, you know, a big improvement, but that's what made the Maryland game. And even so more so that the Minnesota game so miserable to watch because the whole time you're like, this is a two possession game for 30 minutes straight. Get your shit together. Get your shit together. This is Minnesota. Get your head on right figure it out and win the game. And they just couldn't do it. They're not capable of getting two straight stops. It doesn't matter what happened. They couldn't do it. That's why it was so agonizing. And I know the end, the foul on Thornton, I was on the opposite end. So it looked, it looked like a block to to me. I'm at the opposite end. Then the big 10 comes out and says, yes, it it was a block. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was objectively a block, but you don't need to put yourself in that position. Right. You don't need to put yourself in that position. And also, if he blocks it, you're going to overtime. There's no 
guarantee that this team would again would be able to get enough defensive stops i think that if they go to overtime ohio state probably wins they have probably a greater than 50 percent chance of winning but by no means would i say if ohio state goes to overtime they're winning that game minnesota could go on a 6-0 run and that could be the end of it that literally could have ended it so i think that they still could have lost that game even in overtime um the problem is just that they can't get stops Uh, a six-point deficit feels like it's it's 20 points because they can't they can't stop a team three straight times even if it's minnesota so i thought Rutgers was they lost the game they couldn't shoot the ball that's kind of expected when you play Rutgers at the rack they're very physical they get away with a lot they, the refs can't possibly call fouls on every single possession um you know caleb mcconnell probably could get whistled for 10 or 12 fouls in a game but they can't possibly whistle him for 12 fouls they have to let it go you know they do let it go because that's just who he is um, but they played much better defense at Rutgers for the first time since, like I said, look back on the schedule. I'd have to look back for a little bit to find a time when I thought they played better defense than that. Yeah, the problem with the Rutgers game was simply those kinds of games Rutgers likes. They like to win the game 61 to 50, 59. You know, those are the kind of grind them out games they just tend to win. So when you get into that game with them, you kind of out of your you're kind of out of your element. In the Minnesota game, yeah, they just couldn't get they couldn't get stops back to back. The Maryland game, it just—I mean—they had a five. They didn't play a good first half and still had a five-point lead. It was just that six-minute stretch out of the second half where they had like eight turnovers and two made baskets that I think just buried them. They even I think played better than Maryland from then on out. They just got well, buried. Then, in then that. They were down by like thirteen. By, That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah they got down by thirteen, by and you're, now you're chasing. Now you're chasing the whole game. You're dead. You're not good enough on defense to make that up, right? Because they did take that twelve-point deficit against Maryland, and they turned it into like they got back within two or three multiple yeah. times but they're just not good enough defensively to get that one final stop to string together two or three like 12 points if you get up on 12 points on this ohio state team that game is over it's done that is too big of a lead to make up that deficit for this team defensively unless they can play more defense like they did against Rutgers. that's to be determined if they can keep doing that but in general 12 points is enough to beat ohio state it's done yeah they <laughs> should they should be able to they should be able to play pretty good defense against Nebraska just with the momentum coming in of, of defense against Rutgers and also Nebraska just isn't – they don't really have any killers on offense. Um, I'm sure if there is one, Ohio State will find them. But um, they don't – I mean, they don't really have too many killers. So they should be okay. I think yeah, Sam Grissell is a great player, but I, don't, I wouldn't call him a killer. Um, he's he's yeah, also I, questionable. He might not play. Says that as well. So um, yeah. I didn't see that. So, you know, th- th- there's a lot. This team just—it's one of those things where. And look, I understand. I'm way more optimistic than most fans. I know at this point, most fans think they're not going to make the tournament. I don't even think that's like—I don't think them missing the tournament is in the question yet. Lose to Nebraska, yeah, sure, things change because two and five, three and four is a lot different than two and five, in my opinion. Um, so we'll see how how tonight goes. Um, and I've seen this team play well, very well. You know what I mean? Like they took North Carolina to overtime, right? They they beat the teams they were supposed to beat in the early in the season. They beat Northwestern by sixteen, which at Northwestern, which like I said, Northwestern is not going to stand out in any in any you know metric, and they're probably not going to make the tournament. But their team is playing some pretty good basketball right now, so that win stands out. Um, you know they they haven't been blown out by anybody outside of outside of kind of Minnesota. You know, just for parts of that game, they were getting blown out, but. Um, it's it's a weird thing of just if they can just figure out a way to put these two factions of what they have together, they'll be fine. But when the offense is clicking, the defense can't get a stop. When the defense is clicking, the offense shows up bricks. You know, I mean, I know Sensible gets a lot of credit, and people think he needs to play forty minutes a game and all this stuff. But like from the Maryland to Minnesota to first half of Rutgers, he was fourteen for forty from the field. So now you have a guy that's he's getting kind of. Take, he's getting kind of hurt on the defensive end, but now he's also shooting 30% from the field. And it's like, okay, at that point, where are we at? You know what I'm saying? I, and it's not his fault. He's a freshman. Guys are picking up on him. Like, it's hard to maintain the kind of consistency he had over the first two months as a freshman. So it's not a knock to him. But, you know, when people are like, every time he goes to the bench, people start screaming for Holman's job. I do think you have to look at it from that kind of eye lens of, you know, when you're he's 14 for 40 from the field and he's not playing great defense, he's getting a little bit better on defense. The defense it's there in flashes and then it's just like gone. So it's kind of weird. Um, 
I like people are criticizing the starting lineup of Rutgers. That lineup will look a lot better when it's Zed Key for Felix Akpar. It was tough having Akpar and Likely out there to start because they're both not incredible. They're both really not offensive threats at this point. Um, so when so that's why I think when the offense got kind of stale. Plus, you know, Justice Suing is is just not. He's just been really inconsistent with that kind of lineup. You're kind of expecting Suing to take over the role of scorer, and he just had a really tough start to the game against Rutgers. Kind of tough game in general. So, um, but when Zed Key is starting, I think that lineup. That starting lineup will look a lot better. That will go back to their starting lineup of, of the, you know, early in the season, the first, I think it was seven games they did that starting lineup. So I, I don't mind likely starting. I do think likely still needs to play. Yes, he's an offensive liability, but his defense, and I wouldn't even say he's an offense liability. He's a scoring liability. He still sets everything up. He still breaks the press. He still, you know, hands out assists. He's still kind of the guy that kind of lets the ocean flow. So you do need him out there. Um, I liked what I saw from – I want to see more of Tanner Holden. I really do. But at the same time, I want to see more from Eugene Brown as well. It's kind of weird. It's a tough roster to really put out there because I think a lot of guys are playing pretty well. Um, you know, maybe you tap into Justice Suing's minutes a little bit. I hate to say that because he is a very valuable player on that team, but he's been really inconsistent, and it seems like whenever they get bad justice, they lose the game. So you're kind of in a weird spot with him, I think. And um, – you know, I, I know. I think Holtman said Thornton has been dealing with like an illness, now an injury. So, you know, I, I I think we got a little bit, and I'm not using this as an excuse. People will yell at me and say, "Oh, you making excuses?" But you know, it's not an excuse. But I do think we got a little bit too heavy on like or like okay with the front. Like we kind of forgot the freshman refreshment for a little bit, and now we're starting to see it again. You know, since the ball is kind of struggling from the field a little bit, Bruce Thornton wasn't. You know, hasn't been as as trustworthy with the balls he was earlier on you know it's okay to go through these ebbs and flows with these young guys and you still have transfers you know this is still a very kind of put together team um and I think they just they kind of outplayed expectations in November and December and um I know people think this is the Holtman special I don't really buy into that because yeah his record's worse in January because you're playing better teams I don't like yeah to me that's never really made a whole lot of sense you know, the one year they went one and seven, I'll give it to you. But other than that, they went six and two, five and three. That's just big 10 play to me. Um, I'm sure people disagree with that. That's fine. But, you know, I, I think at this point with these guys, you just got to let the freshmen kind of kind of figure their way through it. Akpar's looked very good at times, and he's kind of looked a little shaky at times. Again, just a freshman kind of finding his feet. So Friday Gale has been awesome on defense, still struggling a little bit on offense, but you know, I, I do think they'll get there, and I do think this team is still very set up for March as long as um, they kind of learn these lessons in January. Like, I'd rather them learn these lessons now than late February. You know, so we'll see. I don't, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a, um, it's a figured out now or kind of die situation. So, uh, that, you know, yeah, that's, that's how the Big Ten is. <laughs> couple things. First of all, you're talking about you're not too nervous about the miss in the tournament. I would say that could also age Minnesota. very poorly because if they lose to Nebraska, I take that back. So, so <laughs> I, I just say so. Mike DeCourcy um, with Fox Sports Big Ten Network. Right now, he has um, Ohio State as the first team out of the tournament. Right now, um, Lunardi yeah. has Ohio State as a nine seed, matching up with San Diego State. In the first round, which would be, um, I mean, we've seen them play with San Diego State. It would be um, a very low-scoring low game, probably. Um, but they would play San Diego State as the nine, eight nine, and then they would, if they win, they would play Alabama. Um, and then the bracket matrix, which, for, if if you don't know what the bracket matrix is, I'm assuming Justin, you've heard of it. Um, if you've not seen the bracket matrix and you are starting to look at bracketology stuff as we get into February. The bracket matrix basically compiles every single quote unquote bracketologist, every mock bracket that is on the internet, compiles all of them, averages them all out, and makes basically one master bracket. Um, and the bracket matrix has Ohio State as an eight seed facing Wisconsin in the first round, which they probably would avoid doing um, since it's the same conference. 
but just they basically are just stacking the teams up based on their average seeding of all of these brackets. And they have Ohio State as a mid-level eight. But again, you don't lose to Minnesota and you're not an eight. When you're an eight, well, you know where this is going. When you're an eight, you win your eight, nine, your prize, you get to play Kansas or you get to play Houston or you get to play Alabama, which puts you in a spot just similar to last year where they say he couldn't make, they couldn't make the sweet 16 again. Well, okay. Did you really expect them to beat Houston or Alabama in the second round? And it's like, no, I expect them to beat Minnesota and Maryland in January so that they get a five seed and they can actually maybe make the sweet 16, but that's where they're sitting right now. I do think that they are teetering on the edge. I would say that they are definitely a bubble team right now. I would say they are teetering on the edge of like a loss to Nebraska would be, yes, they are out of the tournament right now. Um, you rack up a few more wins and you really solidify your spot. But um, I think that they might be a little closer to the edge than maybe you think right now. I wouldn't say they're close to the edge. And I think I realized they're on the edge. I just don't think, I think they'll rack up enough wins in February to where it won't really matter. Um, but I, I could, like I said, this is coming out on the day they play Nebraska. If they lose tonight. I take back everything I said, right. They're two and five with losses to Minnesota and Nebraska. They are probably out of the tournament at that rate. So, they're in kind of a they're in a very flammable spot, you know. So they you, your backs up against the wall. What are you gonna do? Uh, you gonna break the damn thing down, or you gonna you know fold? I don't know. You gotta kind of yeah. see where they're at. Um, I do think that to the seeding point, I don't think it, like matchups are so like I've seen them be a five seed and play a completely underseeded four seed. You know what I mean? So. I think seeding, I agree with the, the premise of what you're saying of like, ideally you want to get a four or five, six seed so that you don't put yourself in the position of playing a one seed. But, um, you know, there's some, I think there's a lot of teams like they just played P- Purdue might be a one seed, right? They just, they should have beat Purdue. So I think this team can beat a lot of really good teams. I think they can lose to a lot of bad teams. They're kind of in a weird spot. I'll say this much. I don't want them to be a five seed and see the Kent State Golden Flashes as a 12 seed because I think they might lose that game. But uh, it's besides besides the point. Um, Just had to get my Kent State propaganda in there. You know who else is a 12 seed right now in bracket? Rank Kent State, by the way. Rank Kent State. Some bullshit. What? You know who else is a 12 seed in the bracket matrix? Iona? The Oral Oral Roberts Golden Eagles. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, I would, I mean, I would actually like that matchup. I think I don't think Oral Roberts is that good. Max Admus is good, and that's it. Somehow he's still there, but um, yeah, that's that would that would be objectively pretty funny. I don't think they work their way up to a five seed. I think at this point they're going to get to a five. I I think they could get all the way up again. This is not a prediction. This is if they finish very strongly, they can probably get up to a six seed, and then as, as and then the lowest they can be is out of the tournament. So you've kind of put yourself in a tough spot. Like I said, still their only bad loss is the Minnesota game. I still don't consider Maryland to be a bad loss. Um, so, and obviously, at Rutgers isn't a bad loss. So the Minnesota game is gonna it's gonna haunt them a little bit. That's gonna be when they put up the resumes. That's gonna be on the bad loss instead of the good wins column. But um, you know, like I said, you got Nebraska and Iowa coming up. Two very very inconsistent teams. Two teams of like Nebraska beat Creighton earlier in the year. Obviously, that's not looking as hot as. Um, as it was, but you know, Iowa also beat Rutgers at Rutgers. You know, Iowa can just score the hell out of the ball sometimes. They just they don't they play negative defense. I mean, like I said, Eastern Illinois scored what ninety six on them, ninety five, ninety. Like they got ninety, right? Talking about Iowa, yeah. I mean, I yes, but also, I would say that the Iowa team that we've seen the last uh, I don't know two weeks looks like a completely different Iowa team that we saw a month ago. Well, I will say, I mean, they beat, they just beat Michigan at home in overtime, but that was getting a 25 ball from Peyton Sanford. Can you expect that every game? Probably not. So if he doesn't also, do that, they so probably they lose the game. on the road. They won at the rack against Rutgers. Oh, that's, yeah, too. that's their best win for sure. That's their best win for sure. Um, and that was Chris Murray. At his, I believe Chris Murray had a fire game there, so. You know, that's the thing when you have a guy like Chris Murray, he can really be a, a, a obviously a game changer. He's been a little more inconsistent than Keegan last year, but that's not really a fair comparison. So, um, you know, no, he's, he's still still, been, he's still, a, he's he's still an incredible still player. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think he might be – he could be Big Ten player of the year. I mean, he's averaging 20 points a game right now. 
Yeah, well, I mean, quietly. I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Zach Eady is running away with all those awards, but oh uh, yeah, um, that's true. I'd say Chris Murray's probably he's probably second, second or third. That's, I think Jalen Pickett also deserves a lot of that credit, but um, yeah, that's, I mean, Zach, that's, so, that's so unfair when you're averaging like twenty and nine. Zach Eady had, like, he had thirty-two and seventeen man. last night. That's just that's a cheat code. <laughs> that's you're talking about Oscar Sheboy. Like that's better than Sheboy's numbers from last year, which also looked like a cheat code. So it's. Um, and Zach yeah. Eady's probably going to come back. He'll probably be there for senior year. God, I hope not. But probably. I mean, I don't know what his draft stock is. It's kind of funny with those guys. I don't know what his draft stock really will be. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, I should so he's, he's, run, he's probably running away with those awards. But, you know, when it comes to, yeah, Chris Murray's still a fantastic player. Um, so you always have to account for him. I don't really know how long they're going to play without Patrick McCaffrey. You know, he's dealing with some some personal stuff. Um, so he's not with the team right now. But, you know, it's still Philip or Brocker. They're still a good team, but they're just very consistent. So, you know, that's kind of a game. You get them at home. That's a good thing. You you know, you kind of want to, kind of want that. You know, I mean, again, four and four is a lot different than three and five. Um, so this is a big week for them. There's there's no doubt about that. They they kind of they got to get this train back on the back on the rails. Um, it, it it is pretty much officially derailed. I mean, zero oh and four over your last four is. Literally as bad as it can be. So you kind of got to get this this train moving again and just, like I said, take it one game at a time. Um, I do like that they're, they're, they're trying to switch some things around. It is tough to figure out rotations when you have probably 10 guys that can play. But at this at this point, I think you got to kind of ride out, you know, the Zed Keys and the Justice Suings of the world and, and let them figure it out. You know, we still know Justice Suings is a very good player. So he's struggling a little bit, but he's still a very vital part of that team and I think getting Zed Key back in the it, it seems I, I would assume he's going to start against Nebraska because he he didn't start against uh, Rutgers but he did start the second half so I'm going to assume he's going to start and you you know Zed Key is probably your most important player with Justice Suing so and then you know hopefully kind of the freshmen kind of get back into their groove and um, you need Sean McNeil to stop committing dumb fouls so he can actually be on the floor he has a knack for missing a three then running up and fouling the rebounder I don't know why he keeps doing that but it's killing them. Because then he has to go take a seat, so that's kind of a weird thing that he needs to stop doing. I'm glad that you pivoted over to bad cop because I feel like we were getting too much good cop going on here, and this was totally meant to be a bad cop episode. But before I continue being bad cop, um, our good friend Sam Vicini has Zach Eady going 42nd overall to the Memphis Grizzlies in his most recent mock draft, which to me means he probably comes back for a senior year. Um, yeah. And, and like I said, it's tough for us to truly go bad cop because I do think we tend to be a little more optimistic in general. Um, me, definitely. So, you know. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty – I was pretty miserable during a couple of these games. I have we, – we've got – Oh, miserable got for sure. Pain. I'm just saying the outlook of it, yeah. I mean, I the panic button has been, has been smashed into pieces at this point. Um, you, it's, you Def, it's, Def Con, it's Tefcon Zero. There's no doubt about that. We're on Defcon Zero. You touched a little bit about Sensabaugh and – I think that for this team to be the best they can be, I truly do think that him coming off the bench is the best possible um, strategy. I think they need to go back to that. I think they lost the game, but I don't think they lost the game against Rutgers because Bryce Sensabaugh came off the bench. He still ended up playing 30 minutes. I know they had an overtime period to chip into that, but I would rather Ohio State be up 8-4 to four after eight minutes like they were with Rutgers than down 24-18 to 18 like they were against Minnesota. Because even though Bryce Sensabaugh is a very, very, very creative offensive player, I'm not sugarcoating it. He is one of the worst defenders that I have seen at Ohio State since I have been alive. He, I have not, I have not seen very many players where teams are so blatantly going after some. Maybe Justin Arns. Justin Arns is up there too. Um, teams are blatantly going after Bryce Sensabaugh to the point where at the end of the game, Chris Holtman has to play offensive defensive substitutions. Like at the end of game, it's like, okay, we're on defense. We got to get Bryce out back on offense, get Bryce in because you know that they're going to attack Bryce Sensabaugh. Like that is a problem. So he doesn't need 40 minutes of that because that is part of the reason why Ohio state can never build leads. And they also cannot catch up because teams have a path and they have a guy to go at that they know they're going to be able to score on 75% of the time. We were hoping it would get better at this point of the season. I think it might just be, it just might be what it is. 
Um, he's still going to be a first round NBA draft pick because NBA final scores are 132 to 126, and there's not as much value on the defensive end. But him coming off the bench, 20 to 25 minutes, scoring in like the 16 to 18 range, but also not being in the game enough to be a huge defensive target for 40 minutes is probably what they have to do. And I don't, I don't mean to sound harsh saying he's one of the worst defenders that, like, that I've seen, but he really is. It's really gotten that bad where he's been targeted that much. And I think him coming off the bench to start a, a defensive tone for Ohio State isn't the worst thing. And I think the same about Bruce Thornton to an extent. Like Bruce Thornton has struggled a lot in the last four or five games. I think he's hitting that, that freshman wall that Chris Holtman kept saying he thought that Malachi Branham was going to hit that he just never hit. I think Bruce Thornton is hitting that right now. He's averaging like six and a half points over his last five games. He's shooting under 30% um, overall. He's dealing with like a wrist injury right now. I don't know if it's his left or his right. Um, I know that Ice can't score for shit right now, but I would still rather see Ice likely play 15 to 20 minutes every game and have Bruce play a little closer to maybe 20 minutes every game. Um, just because I don't think that Bruce Thornton is is very valuable. Very valuable is a bad phrase. He's still very valuable. I don't think he is nearly as valuable or as important to this team in his current state as he was a month ago. I think that's fair. Yeah, and I think you saw that when they were like dealing with the press. I mean, Thornton really struggled with it, and then he put Likely in, and they, there was no issues. He would just push the ball up, and you're good to go. Um, the, the What I'll say about Likely playing, you just have to make sure that he, when he's on the court, there's four other people on the floor like that can score, right? That needs to be with Sensible, Holden, Suing, and Key, or something like that. Actually, I really like that lineup. That 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 needs to be something that you know you can't really put likely out there with Akpar or with Eugene Brown or with Roddy Gale, guys who also won't give you too much on the offensive side, because now you're just limiting your options. Um, and the I mean Roddy Gale again, his junior year in high school is a twenty or sophomore year is a twenty six point per game score. The offense is there. I just don't think he's quite comfortable yet with it. Um, it'll come. I'm not worried about him at all. I still I tweeted it two weeks ago. I stand by it. I think he'll be an all Big Ten player by the time he's done. Um, the the motor he brings is just unreal. He's literally a guy where you know people talk about the women's team. You know why they're so successful on defense is because they literally full court press every single game, and it looks so exhausting. That's what Roddy Gale can do. He can just press the ball handler all game, no matter what, and it's fine. I like bringing Sensible off the bench because what it does is the first four to five minutes of a game, you tend to be really tired after that because your adrenaline's pumping, you're ready to go, the game, the ball tips. You kind of give a little more before you settle into the flow of the game. It's nice to have and – and a lot of teams don't make subs by then. So it's nice when you have the opposing team a little bit winded, a little bit like, you know, the adrenaline's right. gone, the first five minutes is gone. Now you bring Sensible off the bench, your best scorer – and he can dump a quick eight points on him, and you know it's what the Heat do with did with Tyler Hero for three years, right? He starts now, but he came off the bench. It's what you know Jamal Crawford his entire career. It's what Lou Williams did his entire career. Like these are all they were all top five players on their teams, but they came off the bench. Um, and I think that's what you're going to see with Senzaba. I do like him coming off the bench. I don't think the starting lineup like I, it, the starting lineup doesn't really it matters, but. It much more when matters he's still gonna, when he when he's still going to find a way to play twenty five minutes. Off yeah, the he's going to yeah exactly. Really he's going to play the same. Does minute. it really yeah. matter if he checks in at, at tip or if he checks in at fifteen minutes and forty eight seconds? <laughs> By the time you have time to realize he's not starting, to go on Twitter to complain about it, he's going to be in the game because he's going to come in after the first media timeout. So you know, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I really don't. I do like the concept of putting out you know, and like I said, it looked bad against Rutgers because. They couldn't start Zed Key because he, I guess, you know, whatever reason they just wanted to start Akpar. Key wasn't quite ready to start yet. So Akpar and likely being in together, that's where I think you get a little bit into the with also just pair that up with just assuming having a tough game offensively. And now you're just really limiting yourself. So I like when Key's back in the starting lineup, I like that lineup. And it was their original one of Thorne, likely suing McNeil and, and, and Zed Key. I think that's a fine starting lineup. I wouldn't mind, like I said, I wouldn't mind seeing Tanner Holden maybe pop in there, maybe for Thornton, right? Maybe you do yeah. ice as the point, uh, holding at the or Sean and McNeil and holding at the two and the three, suing at the four, key at the five. I like what Holden brings to the game when he's in. 
I think he's really starting to get comfortable, yeah. and I think no, he can, I, I think agree. I think if this team is going to turn it around, it's obviously they're going to get play from suing and key and those guys. But I think an X factor turning around could be Tanner Holden, and um, and I mean, I mean it's funny that it's yeah, it's funny that's the the five that you just listed because um into the wee hours of the morning after they lost to Minnesota, um, I don't know if you. I don't know who read it or who did who didn't read it. I don't think it hit real big time or anything like that. But I did. I wrote up an article saying hit the panic button. Basically, now is the time to say it's okay to hit the panic button. And one of the points that I made was like you went out in the transfer portal and you targeted specific experienced players to offset your inexperienced freshmen. Right? Okay. Now your shit's going haywire in January. Now is not the time, I think, to lean into the freshmen who are really grinding up against a wall right now. Now is when you lean into those experienced guys you've got in the transfer portal who yeah. can play defense, who are not totally gassed playing their first college season. Like that is literally the lineup that I wrote in that article. I was like, hypothetically, if they rolled out a lineup of Isaac Likely, Sean McNeil, Tanner Holden, Justice Suing, and Zed Key against Rutgers, if they benched both of their freshmen and had all four of their freshmen coming off the bench, I would not be mad at all. I mean, Tanner Holden is is shooting pre before the Rutgers game. I have to look what he did against Rutgers, but prior to the Rutgers game, he was shooting fifty percent overall this year and fifty percent from three. If that doesn't earn you more minutes, I don't know what does. And when you have a freshman that is a defensive liability and a, and a freshman point guard who is obviously going through some stuff right now, trying to to work through it. You slide likely over to the one. You let him run point and play 20 minutes, and you plug Tanner Holden into the game. You you lean on the experience to, to steady the ship, I think. And does, yeah, that's just – I agree. Because those are the exact five guys that you listed. And I was like, that's literally what I said this week. Thornton would still play 20, 25 minutes. Sensabaugh would still play 20, 25 minutes at least off the bench if you bench those two guys. But that's, that's, that's part of the problem with – starting freshmen and relying on them so heavily is the up and down. And when you're two and four, you, you cannot afford the up and downs to in the first half of these games. You can't. Yeah. And, and that's the funny part. And people will, you know, if, if the negative people heard this, they would call me crazy and whatever. And that's probably fair. But like when you went over the Ohio state would play Alabama in the second round, that game doesn't jump out as a game. Ohio state can't win. To me, because of similar reasons that Alabama's relying on a lot of young players. Brandon Miller is by by far a top five player in the college basketball this year. He's going to be the number Dude, two I pick think, in the draft. I think Alabama. I think Alabama would score hundred points in Ohio State. I think Ohio State could score hundred on them too, though. That's I mean, I think that game would be a lot of fun. I'm not saying they beat Alabama. I'm just saying I think if they're playing their best basketball, it could be a similar game to what the UNC game was. Alabama's a little more consistent, but which is funny I say that because they are a younger team, but. Um, you know, in general, I think that there's just no like crazy teams. I don't think there's a, there's a set number one in college basketball. I do think Houston probably is the best team. Uh, but again, my Kent State Golden Flash has lost them by five. So, you know, I think, uh, I, you're in a very good spot because if you're Ohio State, well, you're not in a good spot, but you can be in a good spot if you can figure this thing out and turn around. And like I said, it's not like, this team has played horrible all season. They're trying to figure it out. I've seen them play very good basketball. Unfortunately, the Maui invite stuff is kind of um, no teams from Maui are playing particularly well right now. I mean, Texas Tech is an absolute train wreck. Uh, as you just said, San Diego State has fallen down to almost an eight seed. You know, uh, Creighton has really fallen off a cliff. So we kind of thought the Maui invite would be a good time for them to, like, get a couple quality wins, and it's not looking like they really did. But – uh and then the North Carolina Duke games, you know, you, you lost them, but you played them close. So I do think that there's 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 a very good team in here, and I still think there's a Sweet 16, possibly Elite 18. I don't think there's a title contender or anything like that. But a Sweet 16, maybe Elite 18 in there somewhere, depending on the luck of the draw with the bracket. Um, but like you said, there's also a team in there that loses at home to, to Minnesota. They got to figure this thing out, and it starts tonight. You got you to gotta beat Nebraska. You just got to beat them. If you lose to them, yeah. your season is – your season, I would say right now, like you're, you're, you're kind of sitting on the edge of, you've hit a couple of like bad shots in the golf round. It's getting off the rails, but you got a couple, you got a couple scorable holes coming up. You lose to Nebraska, that's like a ball in the water again. Like you just, it's it's done. You're pretty much done. Now you just need to figure out any sort of way to make the tournament as a 11 seed and just pray to God you get a six seed you can beat. Uh, which we've seen Holtman literally do that. So 
you know, you didn't get credit for that. But nevertheless, yeah, I think the, uh, the misery, the the misery of losing to Maryland, Minnesota, and I guess Rutgers, like we are, I said, losing at Rutgers, if it was by itself, is like you don't expect to win at Rutgers. But when you're in that spot, all of a sudden you have to win at Rutgers. Losing those games, the misery is is because it's like the reality of okay, clearly this is not a Big Ten championship team for the 12th season in a row. You're not going to win a title. But I would say even if you lose to Nebraska, which totally possible, we've already seen the worst of the worst happen. Oh, for You're sure. two and five. You are two and five then in the conference. Your season isn't quote-unquote over. I mean, you rally back, you end up 9-11 and 11 or 10-10 and 10 in Big Ten play. You probably squeak into the tournament. It's just that – they have higher expectations than that. So I wouldn't probably use the phrase, your season is over, and you didn't. But I know some people will if they lose to Nebraska. Your season isn't over if you lose to Nebraska. But compared to the expectations that you have for this team and the expectations that that program has, um, you reaching your expectations kind of dies if you do lose to Nebraska. But you could still win um, enough games to make the tournament. But that's just... You know, that's not all that they have aspirations for. And I would say, because, you know, we like, we're going to dance around it. We want to talk about it because um, most of the takes are irrational when it comes to the head coach and keeping the head coach's job. I would say the Minnesota game, the Minnesota loss, and we talked about this amongst ourselves, uh, the land grant staff. That is the first loss that I saw that I was like, if people want to say fire Holtman at the end of the season, if things don't get better, I would not call you crazy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with it because I know what comes with firing a college coach, but losing to Minnesota at home is unacceptable. And if people want to say fire him because of that, if, if shit doesn't turn around, I, under, I understand. However, you also have to understand, and this is what we were talking about kind of amongst ourselves, it's not like the NBA where – you know, you fire your head coach, you bring in the next head coach, and you still have all the same pieces. You fire Chris Holtman in March, your number six recruiting class will all decommit. These guys are not playing. They're not committing to Ohio State. They're committing to a coach. When you lose the coach, they're gone. All of your freshmen on the roster, the Bruce Thorntons, the Roddy Gales, um, the Felix Akparas, they all, they all most likely also transfer. They are also probably gone. So you're looking at two to three years where you're patching it together with transfers, whatever you can grab, or you're probably playing in the NIT or worse for a couple of years. And if people are saying, I'm okay with that for two years, if it means we're, we're done with this shit, I appreciate, I, I, I respect the commitment to the change. <laughs> and I will allow you to make that statement and not call you crazy. As long as people understand that firing a college coach, football, basketball, whatever, is just, it's different than the professionals because you're relying on new players to roll in every, it's always a rolling roster. Unlike the pros where you have guys signed to contracts, these dudes in college are not signed to contracts. They can dip out whenever they want. Sky Clark just dipped out last week. Right. So if they do yeah. fire him, it, that's, that's what is going to happen. However, after the Minnesota loss was the first time I was like, you know, what? if you want to say fire him, I'm, I'm not going to call you crazy because that's not acceptable. Yeah. I mean, and like, you know, like, like you said, we, we are very openly Holtman you know, supporters, what we've had them on the freaking podcast, but, um, you know, the thing that always kind of kills me about the fire Holman stuff is the really only true, like huge complaint is that they haven't made a sweet 16. Right. So the fire in the middle of January stuff kind of confuses me because they haven't had a chance to make a sweet six. Like if they make a sweet 16 this year, I think a lot of people will forget about this January. So it's kind of one of those things of like, if they go on a run in March, I think it's not, you know, why are we calling for his job in January? It also is just kind of annoying because whether you your opinions aside or whether you think he deserves to be fired or not, he's not going to be, right? He's at least at the minimum has next year with the with the freshman class he's coming in because recruiting well earns you that benefit of the doubt. So even if there's a benefit, if there is doubt, they'll at least give him until next year with that recruiting class. Going into 2024, maybe anything's possible. I don't think so. I think he's easily got two or three years built up of equity. That's why they extended him. So that's why the, the every single loss, the fire Holtman stuff is annoying because it's like, like he's not going to be fired tomorrow. So Correct. Why no, are we talking nobody about fires, it? Nobody fires a coach in you have you know, to be just... You have to be <laughs> in the depths of hell to fire your coach in the middle of January. 
I'm talking like yeah. bad team scandal. Like, you know, it's not, oh, yeah. we lost to Minnesota. Like, that's not how this works. And, and, and I'll say have, this. You, yeah. Yeah. You go. You can't have an educated, you can't have a respectful, educated conversation if somebody no. looks at you and says, I want him fired January 18th. I want his ass gone. I want an interim coach January 18th. I want his ass gone with 14 games left in the Big Ten schedule. Like, if that's the, if that's the argument, it's like, come on, man. Like, I'll, I'm you know, willing to have a, an educated, reasonable argument. Like I just said, after losing to Minnesota, if you want to say at the end of the season, if there's not a Sweet 16, I want his ass out. I would say I respect your opinion. If you understand what happens by firing a college coach and you're saying that's fine, get his ass out. I would say I I respect your opinion, and that that's that's a a civil a civil uh, disagreement, a civil conversation. Move on. But if you're saying, listen, Thursday morning, the day before the next game, whatever, I want his ass, I want his office empty. That's not how college sports works, man. That's not going to happen. And I'll say, and, I, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If you fire Holman, fine, whatever. You better get the next one right. Okay, because you'll never be a bad program under Holman. And I do think he can extend you into a into the levels that Thabmata did. Probably not as I mean, you know, Thabmata did it a lot sooner, as we both know, obviously. But I do think he can still I still think he can get you to Sweet 16, the Elite Eights, the Big Ten Championships of the world. He's finished twice. He's finished second twice. So I think that's still there. He'll never you'll never be a bottom tier program. You get this higher wrong, Louisville. Georgetown, all of a sudden you're two and sixteen and you have no idea what the hell happened. We can't act like Ohio State is some untouchable basketball program to what's happening to Louisville, what's happening to Georgetown, and to a much smaller extent, much smaller because it's the first year, what's happening with Villanova, you know, what happened with Pittsburgh. Those are all decent programs. Louisville and Georgetown being way more prominent than Ohio State was at one point. And now Louisville's two and seventeen, right? You tell that to someone who tells them fourteen. The Louisville in eight years is going to be two and seventeen. They call you crazy, right? These things can happen to programs. I'm not saying it'll happen to Ohio State. You can get the next hire right. You can get a great guy in here. Who knows? I don't know. You're going to get another Holtman, right? You're going to get another successful mid-major coach. That's what you're going to. Get. You're not going to go get Bruce Pearl. You're not going to go get John Calipari. Calm down. Chris, you're not going to go Chris get. Beard, I saw. Yeah. You're not going to go get Eric Musselman. I've seen Musselman's name thrown out there, right? You're not going to get these guys. You're going to get. A Jeff Bowles, which he's a great coach, right? But you're going to get a successful mid-major coach. Maybe for lucky, a Paul Kelsey kind of guy. That's who you're going to get. So you're going to bring in a guy with the same pedigree as Holtman and just hope he can get you to a little bit higher of a stature, but pray you also don't fall off a cliff. Where You will not fall off a cliff with Holtman. You might with somebody else. So that's where I think you just got to play it very, very carefully because as much as people think Holtman's a bad coach and all this bullshit, that's just objectively not true. But you know, you gotta you gotta play this. You gotta play it carefully. If if you do go down that road, like I said, I don't think they ever will. Well, not ever, but I don't think they will anytime soon. So I don't think it really matters. But that's where that's the issue you run into, right? Is like, yeah, you can get a better guy, but you can damn sure get a worse guy. So you're in a weird spot. I just wanted to dip into the topic because I like I I don't want to act ever like either of us are objective about that because hand up both hands up i'm absolutely subjective about chris holtman because you know if you know my background i ran i helped run the student section i worked at the shot i you know now i cover the team pretty closely like i've had a lot of interaction with chris holtman i think he's one of the most genuine human beings on the face of the earth um an absolutely great guy so i don't want to see him fired ever if the team went 0 and 20 in big 10 play and you gave me the pen to sign his pink slip, get out of here. I wouldn't do it. I, I wouldn't do it, but I wanted to have an objective, like dip into it and just say like, it could happen. Like it's not impossible. And you're not crazy at this point for saying, you know, I want him gone. This is, this is bad. As long as you understand what happens when you fire a college coach, I'm not going to look at people and say, you're crazy. Stop talking to me. Blah, 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 blah. Um, I think you could make, if you want to make the rational argument that you're okay blowing it up for a couple of years to move a different direction, I wouldn't call you crazy. I wouldn't do it, but you know, I wouldn't call you crazy. I just felt like we should dip into it briefly um, because to this point, it's been so far off the left side that it's like, you know, shut up. Okay. You went 12 and eight in big 10 play. Nobody gets fired for going 12 and eight. Well, now you're two and four. You could be two and five. I just felt like this was the first time in, 
I don't know, several years that it's like, you know, it's not, it's not totally out of left field. So I just felt like, no, I, yeah, I definitely, it. I definitely don't For think a second. he's, un- I definitely don't think he's untouchable. I just, it's, it's the argument I also gave, and maybe this will age poorly too. I used to say it's about Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame. Like, there's definitely both sides I can see to it, whether Eli Manning deserves to be Hall of Fame or not, whatever. But I, he's going to the Hall of Fame. You know what I mean? Like, the Hall of Fame has set a precedent. He'll, he'll be in the Hall of Fame. Eli Manning will be in the Hall of Fame. So, you know, what kind of opinions aside, it's kind of like with Chris Holtman, opinions aside, he's not going to get fired tomorrow. There's no scenario that happens. So let's just maybe let the season finish <laughs> before we start with all that stuff. And, and it's just, you know, it, it gets a little bit tired. And that's why it gets tiring, not because, you know, we're some Holtman – well, I guess we are Holtman stands, but you know, not because we like it gets tiring because I know it's it's not a scenario that's going to happen right now. So that's where it kind of it, it was. It, I felt the same way for the month after Michigan in between Georgia, where people were like fire Ryan Day. It's like he's not going to get fired. So this is just kind of getting annoying at this point. Yeah, I just thought it was something that should should be touched on because I feel like people that have been harping on that for a long time are like, please say it, and it's like, listen, There's, I'll, I'll uh, say this too. I'm not. I'm not an objective. I'm I'm not objective. I'm subjective, so I won't do it. But I just think that there's finally hit a point now where it's like, all right, I don't think that you're crazy for making that comment. At least, you know. I'll, I, and I'll say this too. Again, and I respect opinions. If you think he deserves to be fired, that's fine. I do also think there's a and I, this is a small faction, but a faction of Ohio State's fan base that they could win a national title, and people would say, well, that's just in spite of Holman. So <laughs> I do think we're at kind of a weird spot to where there's literally nothing he can do that's going to fit change some people's minds. Um, and again, I think that's a very small faction of Ohio State fans. But um, I do think we're kind of at that point. But it's – I also did see somebody ask if Diebler could call the plays from now on. Um, Diebler has a very strong input in the offense. So I don't know if that would change a hell of a lot. But maybe. We'll see. Yeah. He literally runs the offense. All right, yeah, we've gone yeah. about an hour. We've, we've gone we've gone an hour and five minutes. The the airing of grievances, I think, has come to a close. Um, so, hopefully, I honestly, I think people will probably actually stay for that entire ramble, honestly, because a lot of it was negative, and a lot of people love that shit. So, if you have listened yeah. to this point, we appreciate you hanging with us. Um, if you found us on the website at landgrantholyland.com, also make sure to subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you get your music and podcasts, um, so that when we put new episodes out, you'll be notified. Yeah, you can follow us on Buckethead's LGHL. I haven't really tweeted from there recently. I've been on Cooking TikTok. Uh, it's taken over my Twitter. Twitter. Cooking TikTok is taking over time that I used to spend on Twitter. I haven't tweeted in like a week. But um, so you feel better? Much, I feel so it's I literally went from like the worst place on earth to the most wholesome place on earth. <laughs> like cooking TikTok is just people that enjoy cooking just telling you how much they enjoy cooking. Twitter is just people that hate their lives telling you how much they hate their lives. So yes. I, it's it's yes, been chef. great. It's been yes, yes, chef. It's been great. But um so you can follow but you can follow us a bucket as LGHL. We'll we'll still tweet there for a little bit when I'm on my computer and then uh like I mean you can follow me at Justin underscore Bulba if you want. I haven't really tweeted in a while, but you can. I'll probably I've messed around on the Bucketheads Twitter a little bit. There'll probably be more mixing it up between us where people probably won't be able to tell who's who and what's what. But you can also follow me at Lamons L E M O N S underscore Connor. Uh, thanks for listening. Go Bucks. <laughs>